Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show that shines a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment here on BYU Radio. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. And we do that by sharing with you some of the good news in Hollywood, as well as some of the new movie releases, which, as we all know, isn't really a thing right now. Right, Cole? Yeah, yeah. We haven't got a ton of new movies to talk about so far in 2020, but there is one. There's there's one hope sitting on the summer schedule, and that movie and its director is what we're going to talk about on the show today. Okay. Uh, nice tease. Nice tease there. I you know, there actually is a movie release today that you can check out for the low, low, low price of $25. To own, in your though. Home. So it's, yeah, $20 $20 to rent, $25 to own. So if there's any remote possibility that you think that you will watch Scoob, the new animated version of Scooby-Doo that we seem to get every so often, then go ahead and own it. Zoinks! And this time, like, we've got Will Forte as Shaggy. Because every voiceover guy has a Shaggy up his sleeve. Will Forte (laughs) and Jeff Simpson included. Yeah, I mean, it's got a pretty good cast, too. It's got Zac Efron, and there's even a little Simon Cowell in there, if you can believe it. But yeah, for me, if I were going to watch it, it would be because Will Forte is shaggy in the movie that's just simply called Scoob. Exclamation point. $25. Yeah, exclamation point, Scoob. Um, You know, Cole, there actually is another way that you can get to the movie theaters. People have very differing opinions on when it's appropriate to start going back to the movie theaters. Movie theaters, if they do open up anytime soon, they'll probably be opening up at 25 or 50% capacity. And uh, there is a chain that's called Megaplex, a favorite of mine, that is allowing families or really just a group of 20 people to rent out a screen for the low, low, low price of $375. Now, what does that get you? It gets you a movie that is currently in their possession. So who knows? I can't even remember what movies were in the theaters when we left off, Cole. Oh, I can, but I wonder if production companies are okay with theaters still (laughs) having those, or is it just going to be really, really old movies that they just have laying around? Because I know some theaters uh, would have like... Special Wednesday night things where they just play an old movie. Um, and if if those are the movies that are just sitting around, maybe it's definitely not going to be new releases. It's interesting. But, listen, hear me out, Cole. Well, hear me out. This is I'm I'm a Megaplex spokesperson right now, and I'm trying to pitch you on this. Bring it on. Three hundred three hundred seventy five dollars gets you a lot. I'm it out. gets you twenty people in to see the movie. And let's not get hung up on the details of what movie or how old it might be. Because listen to this. Every person in your party gets their own popcorn and their own soda. Gasp. Boom. Mic drop. 375 bucks. What do you think, Cole? Are you 20, in? For 20 people, exactly? 20 people. Okay. It comes out to 1875 per person. And that's a pro- in their defense, that is approximately a movie ticket. And a large popcorn and a drink. I didn't say. Hey, hey, hold on. I didn't say anything about large popcorn. I just said popcorn. A and popcorn soda. and a drink. The size is is immaterial. It's it's not relevant to this. Okay, sure. I mean, it's so it's a you, way for movie theaters to make money. If if you have a ton of extra cash laying around and you're passionate about the economics of a movie theater, go out and support your local <laughs> institution. But that's not something that I will be doing anytime soon. All right. Well, if you can wait to go to the movie theaters, but maybe you are excited about something coming to your home via streaming other than Scoob, you might be excited for season two of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. We've surprisingly been talking about CBS Access quite a bit here on Screen Cleaning. And this is season two. The difference between uh, season two and season one is that Season one was releasing the episodes weekly. In season two, you're going to get all of the episodes dropped at once on June 25th. The trailer is out now. You can check it out online. 
I wonder if they'll adopt that same strategy for the Star Treks, which is why we were talking about CBS All Access before in the future, because especially Picard, I, I must emphasize this again, it's a modern kind of a storytelling. It's not your traditional Star Trek where each individual episode does a thing. It's a story that you want to binge, and the fact that they're drawing it out I think hurts it a little bit. There's another CBS show, one that you can get, I think, on All Access or just on CBS.com because it is the the show that's going on right now. It is Survivor. Winners at War just wrapped up this season this past week. It is the very first time that they have brought back exclusively Survivor winners. The finale was dramatic. If you have seen any Survivor season, if if you were at all even just like 10 years ago when Survivor was a bigger thing, uh, intrigued by it, this would be the season to go back to and revisit because it has been amazing. It's the best players of all time. Uh, and the ending was perfect. It was the only way it could end. Okay. You know, I never really got into Survivor. I know it's been on the air for about 75 years, but I, uh, yeah, I never really watched that show very The game much. has changed over the years, but I think that we came to a perfect season this year. And it, it's, been, uh, it's been a favorite of my quarantine viewing, uh, as well as some other people that I know. Wow. Well, and if you don't get excited about new shows coming back to the air, you might be excited about uh, casts from your favorite 80s movies being reunited apart. That's the name of Josh Gad's charitable uh, endeavor that he's got going on right now. It's called Reunited Apart. And the first time he did it, he brought back the cast of The Goonies and with a bunch of guests you would never expect, all in one Zoom chat together, probably the first time they've been together since the movie was made. And uh, we saw something similar this time with the Back to the Future cast. I wasn't as impressed with the offering of of uh, people that were being reunited. There was no Biff, obviously no Crispin Glover. That was kind of a falling out. But a lot of the others were there. And uh, if you enjoyed the Goonies being reunited, you would certainly enjoy the Back to the Future reunion if you're excited about 80s movies getting together, Josh Gad seems to have you covered. But there's also been uh, 2000 sitcom revivals as well. We saw the Parks and Rec cast get together for like a proper episode length of Parks and Rec that was on television on NBC. Also this week, John Krasinski's Some Good News YouTube show that we've – uh, talked about before on this program because he talks about the good news in the midst of this pandemic, which Rory can't get enough of. Uh, he brought back a lot of his fellow Office cast members for a wedding that they hosted on YouTube. Uh, they made huh. fun of their famous wedding episode from The Office where in The Office they were making fun of a YouTube video. Things have come full circle uh, in that process. But it each of the individual office cast members were in their individual homes kind of doing the dance that they did for the for Jim and Pam's wedding episode. There was plenty of nostalgia to be had. And office fans, it's one more thing to check out. Okay, Cole. It's so weird to be doing this show right now and to not be talking about big summer movies that have been coming out. Just think, this time last year, you and I were getting our wager ready to see which of the two of us was going to correctly predict who or which films would be the big summer blockbusters. And boy, that was so much fun when we did it. We were actually so close. Do you remember so this close. song, Jeff? Oh, yes. I remember it like it was just last year. We played it every single week on the program <laughs> all through the summer. I thought I'd never get to see it again, and especially with the status of the blockbusters this year, just for a point of reference, the start of May is the start of the summer movie blockbuster season, like as far as no and people who keep track of it and me. And the movie that we missed out <laughs> Wait, on... Wait, so you're not a nerd? Is that what you're saying? I, I, well, I'm included in at all. I, Nerds, you know, nerds I don't. I don't think "nerd" is a derogatory term anymore. <laughs> I'd I really like to don't. think. I'd like to think it never was. 
Oh. Black Widow was the movie. As as we saw, Avengers come out at the end of April last year and set records all through the summer. Black Widow was supposed to be the one to launch the summer movie season this year with a May 1st release date. We didn't get that. Next week, we were supposed to get Fast and Furious 9. Fast 9. We won't be getting that. And then Wonder Woman after that. Soul was a summer release uh, for Pixar after Onward barely got released in March. But the big kind of tentpole that we have left and tentpole in in like the most original use of the word in that it's kind of the one thing holding everything up and if it falls, the tent will come crashing down on us is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. It was originally on the schedule for July 17th and it is still there. Some of the movies that are what? pushing back are kind of using it as a guidepost. Mulan was supposed to be a spring release. It's only slightly behind Tenet now. Wonder Woman 84 went from being just a June release to being beginning of August. Movies are kind of assuming the Tenet is still happening. And the rest of our summer, as far as, you know, new movies go, uh, not necessarily important things, but the rest of our summer relies on Tenet, Jeff. So we have to count on Christopher Nolan to save the box office world, basically. And uh, it's interesting because the movie, I, from what I've seen and what I've read online, has some sort of time travel element to it. So maybe Christopher Nolan was able to uh, travel through time, see that things were going to be okay by the time June 7, or July 17th rolled around, and that his movie would be okay, so they kept it firmly in place. Maybe Christopher Nolan knows something that we don't know, Cole. You wouldn't put it past him. And as we talk about a lot of different movies that are foregoing the theatrical release to go straight to streaming, get some financial flow going, a Christopher Nolan movie will not be one of those things. He is one of those passionate defenders of the cinematic experience, and he still shoots on film and... and his movie is not going to be one of those that just gets pushed straight to the Peacock, HBO Max, etc. You know, also in July, talking about streaming news, Disney Plus will be hosting Hamilton. Uh, they've been That's talking right. about having a a filmed version of Hamilton being put on the big screen. They're going to push that directly to Disney Plus for the 4th of July weekend. That makes sense. It's got an American Revolution topic. So that's one more thing to stream that we have coming our way in the summer. Well, like you said, Cole, if anybody can do it, Christopher Nolan can do it. And uh, this isn't the only reason we're talking about Christopher Nolan, though, today. Not Not just because... He's the one that's going to save the summer box office. Why else are we talking about him today, Cole? Jeff, I want to take you back to the summer of 2017. It was an interesting time for movies. We were about to get our very first trailer for New Mutants, uh, which was going to be the hot new X-Men movie that, uh, you know, just got pushed back yet again on the release schedule. Now it's one of those late summer after Tenet hopeful movies. Uh, somewhere in August is where it is in the release schedule now, if I ever get to see it. But it was uh, 2017 was also the lowest grossing summer season for movies in in the 25 years previous people analysts the nerds me we were worried about the state of movies now there were some highlights of the summer the top grossing movie was wonder woman and we are now about to get a second one uh, also in the top five was a chris nolan film called dunkirk now while all this was going on jeff you and i here at byu radio were starting a new little project as a part of the morning show at the time called Screen Cleaning. And right around when Dunkirk was going to come out, we were on our 10th ever episode. By my estimation, we're right around number 125 right now. For number 10, we did something special that we did a few more times and dedicated the show to a significant filmmaker, a director or an actor. So now as we prepare for Tenant to save our summer movie season, we take a dip into the archives to when we were looking forward to Dunkirk in a simpler movie time. Presented for the first time here on the Screen Cleaning Podcast, it is the films of Christopher Nolan. Coming up next. Scooby Dooby Doo! Maybe this can lead us to our culprit. Jinkies! Apparently, he's been stealing Netflix by using his mother's account. <gasps> that is not fair for the rest of us who have to pay for Netflix. You have to pay for Netflix? I don't know if I can do the show today, Cole. 
What do you mean, Jeff? It's our 10th show. We're going to be highlighting the career of Christopher Nolan. It's a big show. What's the matter? It's last week's show. I, I messed up the show intro. And I've been a mess myself ever since. Jeff? Why do we fall? What? Why do we fall? Why? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. Thanks, Cole. You still haven't given up on me, have you? Never. Okay, then. Let's do this. Wow, welcome to the show. This is Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson, and uh, Cole Wissinger is here with me as always. Absolutely. And today, as Cole mentioned, we're going to be highlighting the career of the wonderful filmmaker Christopher Nolan, who uh, is coming out with his 10th movie next weekend, if you can believe it, Dunkirk. And uh, oddly enough, this is our 10th show here on Screen Cleaning. There are no coincidences. That's right. We thought, what better way to ring in our 10th show than by discussing one of Hollywood's greatest filmmakers, Christopher Nolan. And uh, a few of the films we will not be discussing here on the show today because they are R-rated. But uh, after his first three films, he repented and uh, learned uh, that, you know, there's more money to be made and more family-friendly fare. So we're going to be talking about those other seven films here on the show today. As uh, well as Cole and I are going to be uh, going head-to-head in a, in a certain debate. We're going to be going to court, if you will. Mm-hmm. A friendly court. Absolutely. But a court nonetheless. But the fourth film uh, is the beginning of uh, a beautiful friendship. And a beautiful franchise. Ooh, right? I love it. I love it. Okay. So what we're going to do here, we're going to take the next six films because the 10th film is not out yet. It'll be out next weekend. And Cole and I are going to discuss those and, and even rank them as we go along. And uh, the first couple of films are going to be very similar. I mean, our picks are going to be the same. But then we, Cole and I start to splinter off from There's each other from there. Somewhere. Yeah, a clear divide. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about his fourth film which was Batman Begins. Now, I need to, in full disclosure, I was not looking forward to this movie. In fact, I was adamantly opposed to this movie because of what came before it, which was Batman and Robin, the Joel Schumacher turkey that uh, tanked this franchise for a good decade. It put it it on ice, as Arnold Schwarzenegger might have said. Everybody chill. Uh, Batman Begins, I went with a group of friends, was dragged to see it, and ended up leaving the theater blown away by what I had just seen. Christopher Nolan somehow resuscitated this franchise by getting away from the cartoony, ridiculous campiness of Batman and Robin and making the Batman franchise very much grounded in reality. He used practical effects as much as he could and uh, used a little bit of special effects because he had to. Um, but the the villain in this is pretty strong. Now, maybe not the strongest, but it's a good villain to get things going in the franchise. I loved it. This would be my number three pick of the six films we're going to talk about. How about you, Cole? So Batman Begins is my fourth favorite okay. of this chunk of Nolan films. All right. And... I don't feel as strongly about it. Um, I th- Obviously, it is much better, and it did turn the franchise around, and it's probably, up until that point, my, still my second favorite Batman. I mean, Keaton did a beautiful job personally in Batman 89. Not Buster Keaton, but Michael Michael Keaton. Keaton. Uh, but the rest of the movie around him, just it's not as strong as what Nolan brought to the whole franchise. So, okay. All right. So that would be your number four pick. Right. What would be uh, – let you talk about uh, Christopher Nolan's fifth film. Which is my third pick. So this is my okay. third favorite and it's called The Prestige. Mm-hmm. It also stars Batman, uh, Chris, uh, Christian Bale here. And he's a rival illusionist or magician or whatever you want to call it with Hugh Jackman. Yes. And they go back and forth and back and forth here in this kind of period piece where they're – just constantly trying to one-up each other. And the Prestige gets its power from a big twist ending that 
I wouldn't I'd be doing it a disservice if I spoiled because you have to go into it the whole the whole movie is leading to this twist and what it's going to be because as with a good magic show us intelligent individuals that watch it are always trying to see how it is they do it yeah and so while you're distracted and trying to find out how they do it for the whole time then they hit you with the twist at the end. It's a beautiful creation. It keeps you on your toes throughout, and it's entertaining. And I love how they start the movie off with a close-up of all these top hats on the ground, and you hear Christian uh, Bale's voice saying, Are you watching closely? So they let you know right off the bat, like, you this need to important. pay attention. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the sad thing about this film, and I, I went back and forth. I didn't know if this was going to be my third or fourth pick, but uh, – Ultimately, it was my uh, my fifth pick. Oh, so what I just said didn't make any sense. My fifth pick. Um, the sad thing about this film is that it came out the same time that another magician movie came out called The Illusionist with Edward Norton. I think a lot of people were confused about which movie they were seeing. Mm-hmm. But uh, go and see this of the two because it is the better film. So the the next movie that he came out with was... A little film, you may have heard of it, called The Dark Knight. If you've ever been to IMDb and seen the top movie on there, you might have seen it. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, this is the only superhero film where an actor won an Oscar for acting. I that can't think of any other. That sounds right to me. Yeah. I know Jack Nicholson was nominated for Best Actor for 1989's Batman, mm-hmm. but Heath Ledger was the one that ultimately won Best Supporting Actor for his performance as the Joker in The Dark Knight, now, which came out in 2008. Halle Berry did get a Razzie for That's Catwoman. True. That's true. So if we're talking about award credential. <laughs> there you go. And she showed up to the ceremony, too, to accept oh, the award. Yes. So The Dark Knight is another film that I had a really interesting experience with. I was so excited to see it because of Batman Begins. Saw it on the giant, you know, four-story IMAX screen. It may have been six-story IMAX screen. And uh, my wife did not enjoy this film. She was so affected by Heath Ledger's performance that uh, she didn't want to let me ever see that movie again. Um, I may or may not have snuck out to see it again. But uh, the point is, this is a film that was just so epic in scale and such a huge budget. But really, where the film's heart lies is with the performance of Heath Ledger as the Joker. He is just – I mean he kind of describes his character later on in the film when he says, I'm kind of like a stray dog. You know, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I, what does he say? I'm chasing a, cars. Chasing cars. I mm-hmm. wouldn't know what to do if I found one. So he's kind of jittery and all over the place and unpredictable. To me, he's kind of like the dramatic version of Jiminy Glick where his, vo- <laughs> where his voice goes really high like this and then it goes really low. Um, but yes. Everything from his made-up accent to the way his mannerisms go, everything is totally integrated to this truly crazed individual that he's portraying. And we're going to talk about this film in our next segment after we come back, But uh, and it involves the music of The Dark Knight. But again, this this is the greatest superhero film I've ever seen and my number one pick for Christopher Nolan's films. Also my favorite Christopher Nolan hey, film. Hey, all right. Quite possibly my favorite film of all time. I don't want to just give that out willy-nilly. But it to me, The Dark Knight is the gold standard. If there's an argument to be made against it, is that the that Heath Ledger's performance outshines Batman, that it's more of a Joker movie than a Batman movie, or that it's it's not a real superhero movie because it's too grounded. It's just mm. it's just a cop, you know, cops and robbers heist movie that is based on comic book characters, but if you just look at it as a movie, not as a Batman movie specifically, it's a beautiful movie. That's right. It's not perfect. I mean, I would probably change things maybe in the way of casting. I'm not a huge Aaron Eckhart fan, and, uh, you know, there's probably 30 minutes too long or so. But anyway, that's that's a different discussion for Mm -hmm. a different time. So what's the next film that he made, Cole, and where does that lie in your picks? Following the chronology now, so I was in high school 
when The Dark Knight came out. I was in middle school when Batman Begins came out. So I, I've really grown up with this being my Batman franchise. And so by the time I'm graduating, the summer I think before I went to college, I went to the drive-in to see a movie called Inception hmm. that I knew nothing about going into. Oh, and I, just loved, I love that experience. Wanted to see a good movie. It was recommended to me. And after I saw it, it was a Friday night that I went to the drive-in to see it and whatever the double feature was. And... I went back the next night to see it again because this is a movie when you get to the end, you realize, just similarly to The Prestige, that there was so much in the beginning of the movie that meant so much that you didn't realize because you didn't know where the movie could be going. And that ending really upsets a lot of people. And the ending is just so spectacular. I love the ending. By way of summary, for the four and a half people that haven't seen this movie in the universe, (laughs) Inception is about Leonardo DiCaprio and his team of of skilled people in diving into the dreams of other people. And it's a heist movie. In order to get things. Instead of stealing something, they're implanting something or placing something into somebody's psyche, I guess. And it starts off – the cool thing about Inception is that that's not where the movie starts off. They start off as just your normal team and it's not even the team that ends up being there but just a team of going in and stealing things. Yeah. Going into someone's brain instead of someone's actual vault Mm -hmm. physically, going into the vault that's in their mind. But by the – by the crux of the movie, the whole inception part of it is them turning that on its head even and going to implant something as opposed to taking it out. It plays with the ideas of dreams. I mean, I I don't think I'd thought about dreams that in depth until then. All the the little things that we all kind of know that happen in our dreams, but we've never talked about, got brought up in this movie. How it seems like you're in a dream for a long time when really you wake up and it was just a five-minute nap. Or, you know, just several... How when you're just starting to wake up, the whole world feels like it's crumbling down. And visually, Chris Nolan did that. How the whole world is kind of tumbling down on top of them. As they're waking up. And we wouldn't have the film Doctor Strange without Inception because it borrows very heavily from Inception. And I will say that up until this point, Christopher Nolan's films have been very light on the special effects. This movie has a lot of special effects. But he still tries to use as many practical effects as he can. The actual action, the fighting, and the the movement of the characters is all pretty grounded still, even if you're in a literal dream world where you can do anything. So would that be your number two then? It is also my number two. That is my number two. Okay, so the next film that he did, we're actually going to skip because we're going to have an entire segment dedicated to his next film, The Dark Knight Rises. And that will make more sense as we go along here. The last film uh, to come out before his newest release, Dunkirk, next weekend, is a film called Interstellar. Now, I mentioned earlier that looking at all these films, I don't think there's a bad one in the batch. Having said that, I will say if that there's this, a weaker is, one. this is my least favorite of the films that yeah. he's done, which is interesting because it's his most grand in scale and ambition. And... Uh, He spares no expense on the effects and the music and what can I say about Interstellar? I mean, it's basically a film where these astronauts are going into space to try to find a new home for humans to inhabit because pretty soon Earth is going to be uninhabitable. Am I right on that? I only saw it the one time. Right. Yes, and there's time plays there's a, a very little bit of heavy-handed like we're yes. the ones that did this to the planet stuff, especially yeah. at the beginning. There's a little a... throwaway line about how we used to think that the moon landing was real when really it was fake, yeah. or maybe it was the other way around. It's it sounded kind of a, ridiculous. It's a self-important movie, I yeah. will say that. Uh, Christopher Nolan is a little bit on a soapbox. Very entertaining, though. We're going to talk about the music of it later on, but this would be my number. Six pick. So my least favorite of Christopher Nolan's movies. However, I would watch it again. I still think it's a good film. It's just not it's not up to par. So, Cole, I think you are also going to put that as your number six, right? It's my oh. fifth <gasps> favorite. Oh, because that's I another there te- is a worse. That's one. a tease. Mm-hmm. That's a tease for the segment that's coming up. Well, there you have it. If you haven't seen any of those films, all great films, all uh, PG-13 as well. So uh, check them out. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be discussing another aspect of the Christopher Nolan films, and that is the soundtracks when we return. 
This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. I don't know about you, but my I think that's my heartbeat intensifying as we're listening to this music. This is the soundtrack from the upcoming film Dunkirk, which will be out next week. And I cannot wait to see this film because it actually Christopher Nolan's getting away from telling superhero stories or science fiction stories. And he's telling a film that is probably... Uh, the film that is most based in reality of any of his films because it tells the story – it uh, tells the story of 400,000 troops that are trying to get home and, of course, it's easier said than done at the end of World War II and it tells it from three different perspectives, the soldiers in the sky, in the sea, and on the land. And boy, does it look good. And – and if you hadn't noticed as we were going through his actual chronology, every other film up until this point was a Batman movie. Yes. Um, he did um, – he started with Batman, then Prestige, then Batman, then Inception, then Batman, then Interstellar. So this so should be our Batman's next Batman turn. movie. Now, having Instead, said that, there are two Batman, Batman villains in this film. You've got Tom Hardy. Right. And you've got – I've never known if it's Cillian, Cillian. Murphy – he plays the Scarecrow and Tom Hardy plays Bane. Yeah. They're both in this film. And apparently Tom Hardy has like five lines in the whole thing. So that ought to be interesting. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the music. I wish he of... had five lines when he was speaking like Bane. Oh, we'll that's – come on. Don't uh, tip your hand before we've played it. OK. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the music of Christopher Nolan films uh, because they play such a crucial role in the success of his films, especially in uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, which we'll talk about here in a second. But, uh, Cole, I'm hoping that you can play the clip from Interstellar because although I did mention it as my least favorite favorite Christopher Nolan film, one thing that really stood out to me in the in this film was the music. The music was just so grand and beautiful. Anyway, let's just take a listen and we'll talk about it. So it starts out with a little water dripping, and that water dripping sound actually kind of morphs into a tick-tock of a clock, which is interesting because time plays such an important role in this film. The astronauts, they are on a different time plane than everybody back on Earth. So, and sometimes even their other astronauts as they hop from planet to planet and from their yes. spaceship down to the planet. So they, go, they know going into this mission that by the time they get home, the people that are younger than them are now going to be older than them if they're still alive. Mm-hmm. So, And you can hear that clock playing throughout this. And the stakes are really high, obviously. So Hans Zimmer is the composer. And Christopher Nolan apparently gave him one page of notes says, I'm going to tell you the fable at the end of the, at the center of the story. You work for one day, then play me what you have written. And uh, Hans Zimmer took that advice and ran with it. He conducted 45 scoring sessions for this film, Interstellar, which was three times more than for Inception. Wow. Which had pretty good music of its own. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the next one. Um, this one sends chills up down or up my spine all the time. This is the very opening of the film. So it's entitled, Why So Serious? So we know who it's introducing. Yes. So it's based around two notes played by electric cello, solo violin, guitars, and a string section. And uh, throughout the piece, Zimmer uses razor blades on string in- instruments to achieve the tortured, twisted sound to accompany the character on the screen. So this is the Joker's theme. And it's just slowly sliding up. The great thing about this song, whenever you hear it playing, you know 
that the Joker, if he's not already on screen, you know he's coming. He's about to. So if you don't see him and you hear this, you know he's coming. What I love about this is when the first time I saw this, I remember several key Joker scenes where I did not breathe, or it seems I did not breathe through the entirety of the scene. Because I didn't know what he was going to do. I was so affected by the performance and the music that accompanied it that I didn't breathe. And it seems during that string introduction that there's no break. They just keep going and going. So that kind of goes along with not being able to breathe. It is genius. I love this. This has got to be my favorite soundtrack of any of the Christopher Nolan films. Wow. Yeah. So Dark Knight, favorite Christopher Knight or Christopher Nolan film and also favorite Hans Zimmer score. So there you go. So what which one are you going to talk about, Cole? So I want to talk about the music that's in Inception. You mentioned that he's got a pretty good team up here with Hans Zimmer and it continued on with Inception. And the there's just kind of interesting tidbits about the music in Inception. Um if I play a song like this, it reminds you of the song in the movie that is unique because music, when you treat music in movies, you can do one of two different things to it. It can just be a soundtrack that's for us to feel something, or it can be actual music that the characters can hear. Mm-hmm. Right In Guardians of the Galaxy, the soundtrack gets a lot of attention because it's a cassette. Like, half the music is just a cassette that Star-Lord's actually listening to right. that we also hear. But this film is crucial to this, or this music is crucial to this film. Absolutely. It's yeah. kind of their time cue, again, time playing another really key uh, key piece in a Nolan movie. Um, this is their time cue as to when to jump in and out of the dreams and things like that. But also, as they go down in the dreams, time gets distorted and treated differently. And the interesting thing that happens when you do that is that you get a sound like this, which a lot of people just associate with pretty much every trailer imaginable nowadays. It started in Inception, and what that started off as is a slowed down version on trombone Ah. on this big old brass section that Hans Zimmer put together that was a slowed down version of the 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 singing song that I played earlier. Interesting tidbit about that song whatever from the film La Vie en Rose, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, the actress or the the singer of that song was played in the film by Marion Marion Cotillard, who is in Inception as well. It all connects. Yes, it all connects. Okay, and then we already did Dunkirk, right? Yeah, we. Okay. and just to mention again, the when I first saw that teaser trailer, when I didn't know anything about the movie other than the, the little cards that they were putting up that this is by Chris Nolan, he directed The Dark Knight, yeah. go see this movie. And then at the very end when you see just all the soldiers looking up, that's all you know about the movie, but the music tells more of a story in that trailer than anything else because it gets your heart beating fast. And you know right. that something is counting down to something. And again, that ticking something clock, is about to happen. Interesting. Another, another interesting tidbit here. This is going to be under two hours long, which is unheard of in a Christopher Nolan film. And right? we will be talking about that in the next segment. OK. Also. OK. So there you have it. The uh, the scores in these Christopher Nolan films, a lot of them composed by Hans Zimmer, play such a crucial role in the way that we feel in the way that we enjoy these films and ultimately in the success of these films. So good for you, Hans Zimmer. Not that you need our congratulations, but uh, you've got your millions and millions of dollars. But keep up the great work, and we look forward to hearing the music from Dunkirk. We'll take a break. When we come back, Cole and I are going to be going head-to-head. We're heading to the court, the movie court, when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. As you know, we like to try to keep things civil here on Screen Cleaning, uh, which is a little ironic because I'm about to take Cole to court over an issue that we just cannot seem to agree on. 
It seems like a lot of times during this show and during our conversations before and after the show as well that we don't agree on very many movies. We wanted to highlight the works of Christopher Nolan because we can agree on so many of his great ones. Right. We both agreed that The Dark Knight is his best film. And that Inception is his second best. And that is unprecedented territory for the two of us. But now we want to talk about the bottom of his filmography. So this is a film that for me came in at... Number four. And, and for, for you, me is dead last. Wow. Wow. I can't believe you're saying this right now. Well, I'm, I'm prepared to take you to court. There's no money involved, but uh, I'm going to take you to the movie court. What you're witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. These are actual movies produced in a California movie studio. Both parties have agreed to cease their fighting and have their dispute settled here in our forum, the Movie Court. All right, Cole, so here's how it's going to work. You're going to have 60 seconds to give your case against The Dark Knight Rises. And when there's a 10-second warning, you'll hear that sound. And when uh, you're finished, I'm going to give my argument for The Dark Knight Rises. And again, I'll have 60 seconds. And then I might have another debate if we have time that I need to take up with you in the movie court. Are you ready, Cole? I am ready. Okay. 60 seconds starting now. Okay, so The Dark Knight Rises is obviously the weakest of his Dark Knight trilogy that's accepted by most, but it also kind of ruins a lot of the things that I loved about The Dark Knight. It establishes a villain in a similar way to The Joker. It's just never as compelling of a villain as we get out of The Joker. You can never hear a single word or understand a word that Bane is saying outside of that mask. And even though Tom Hardy has a physical presence that's larger than mine, um, it's nothing compared to the Bane that we get in the comic books where he's an actual kind of infused monster that grows to be three times the size of Batman. When him and Batman have his fights, it's just a sparring match and they punch each other a little bit. Even the most cinematic moment that we've gotten in the comic books when Bane breaks Batman's back, it is kind of ruined in this movie because it's it, there's not much that goes on to get us there and to lead up to it and then afterwards he just kind of gets out of it and it's an hour too long. All right. I heard your argument. And now I'm going to give my argument for The Dark Knight Rises. And I don't even think I'll need 60 seconds, but 60 seconds on the clock starting now. So the reason that the, the Batman is the best superhero by far is because there is nothing super about him. The emotional and dramatic stakes are highest in his films because he is not only deeply flawed, but more importantly, incredibly vulnerable. And Batman is the most vulnerable in The Dark Knight Rises. The film drags our protagonist through the mud throughout the film and us along with him. As terrorists take over Gotham City, we sit on the sidelines with our hero as he loses hope and then learns to pick himself back up one last time. I know that the ending is maybe a little bit of a cliche, but it doesn't matter because at this point we're three films into it and Christopher Nolan has roped us in so well that he's got us. And I love the satisfying ending that is a little ambiguous, as all good endings are, and it gives us hope. And that's what really what we need in this day and age. Yeah! Yes! I even incorporated a... A Batman Begins line in there. Did you catch that? I did. Okay. It was okay. (laughs) But is the ending ambiguous? Like, Michael Caine sees them. They're both sitting right there. No, what I mean by ambiguous is that, um, well, you don't, that was a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Anyway, um, I love that it hints at what's to come next. But then it ends, and you know that Christopher Nolan's not making any more films, so it's up to us to decide what the future is for the Batman franchise. It it copies an ending from The Dark Knight, though, only this time we started at the same place that we end. We got that ending of, you know, is it better to tell the truth or tell a little lie to help people? And then we spend the entire movie kind of neutering that message and saying that really it doesn't matter and we end up at the same place where it's kind of a lie that Batman sacrificed himself and we're going to build a statue in his honor but really he's just off in France having tea with his girlfriend. 
So uh, the 60 seconds are up and we've gone over. So I, I request that Cole's last remarks be stricken from the record. And they shall be. I think the verdict is in. And uh, I think the verdict is that there are probably more important things for us to be arguing. Well, we shouldn't be arguing at all, but more important items that need resolution. And we're going to leave this one as ambiguous as a Christopher Nolan ending. And we're not going to tell you who won this one. You decide. It's all up to you. We didn't even have time for our other debate, but we'll just uh, – I have a feeling we're not going to agree on this one. Who's the better Batman, Christopher Bale or Christian Bale or Ben Affleck? Go. Ben Affleck. I say Christian Bale. Anyway, we're going to leave that one ambiguous as well and let you decide who's He always right plays second wrong. fiddle in his own movies. Christian Bale can't get a break. It's a three-year-old conversation, Jeffrey, but do you want to have that debate right now? Do you, do you still believe that Christian Bale is the better Batman? Absolutely. Yeah. You sure about that? Yes, I am 100% sure about my opinion. I can't wait for three <laughs> years from now when I'll be arguing that Robert Pattinson may or may not be the best Batman. I've got high hopes for that one. Well, that as we all know, that movie will never be released, so... Hey, Maybe that's, a conversation we never have. That's why I said three. We, I've been waiting three years for New Mutants. We may actually be getting it coming up soon. Um, I can wait three years for a Batman movie before I start getting impatient. Thank you, folks, for going on that journey with Jeff and I. We were taking a little bit of a break this week um, with COVID-19 going on. Uh, we we helped ourselves kind of by pulling from the archive and, and giving you an episode of screen cleaning never before heard on this podcast, but from 2017. Uh, of course, one facet that was missing from a show that we released right before Dunkirk coming out was our thoughts on that movie. And Cole, I don't know about you, but I think it's time to do a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. Cole, I am so excited to be able to talk about Dunkirk on the show today. This is, as we mentioned, Christopher Nolan's 10th film and really just a fantastic film overall. The year that it came out, 2017, this was one of my top few movies of that year and uh, was nominated for Best Picture a bunch uh, among a bunch of other Oscars, and it won a few of them. It won Best Achievement in Film Editing, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, so pretty much all the, the usual suspects for a movie like this. It's a World War II movie, and it tells the story of these Allied soldiers that uh, are fighting from Belgium, the British Empire, France. They're all surrounded by the German army, and they're trying to be evacuated during a really fierce battle. And what's unique about this is you get three perspectives, Cole. You get the perspective from land, you get the perspective from those that are on the water, and you get the perspective of those who are in the air, most notably Tom Hardy, who is a uh, no stranger to Christopher Nolan movies. This is a movie that really floored me, Cole. I was on the edge of my seat from the beginning to the very end. And one of the things that they did so well in this film soundtrack, especially, was that they used this ticking wristwatch so that this idea of time is running out, things are very tense. It really upped the dramatic ante, and I really appreciated it. One other thing that I really appreciated about this film, Cole, is it's a war movie that's PG-13, and I can't help but watch this movie and compare it to the Mel Gibson film that came out kind of around the same time, Hacksaw Ridge, also a World War II movie. The difference between those two movies is that Mel Gibson is kind of known for going way over the top with the blood and the gore and the violence. And it's really a shame because that movie had a, a fantastic story about a conscientious objector who just saved a bunch of lives during World War II based on a true story, just like Dunkirk was. However, with Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan is actually able to make a much more intense, edge-of-your-seat, thrilling movie with, without really any blood at all. Really, for me, if you put these two movies together, Dunkirk is the more thrilling and better movie. 
because Christopher Nolan, I think, is just a better director who understands how to build suspense, who understands how to tell a really gripping story. And uh, another thing that I really liked about this film, Cole, is that it highlights some of the lesser known heroes during World War II. Yes, we had all these soldiers who went to war, many of whom gave their lives and many of whom risked their lives. But there are the others, who these civilians who came out on their boats to rescue some of these soldiers. And it's not like they wanted a lot of acclaim or recognition. They served these young men in a very quiet, humble way. So who better to portray one of these lesser-known heroes than Mark Rylance, who is just very good at playing these quiet, humble characters. So one of my favorite movies of the year, and I'm happy to highlight it as our uh, in our Panning for Good segment today, Cole. Dunkirk was, it was an interesting movie, and I think it it stands truly as Chris, a good Christopher Nolan movie because he likes the technical aspects and he likes telling stories in a different way. Uh, unfortunately for me, that's what ended up taking away. He had the three different storylines being told in three different time durations, and it all just seemed a little too convoluted for what comes down to just a people coming together, feel good in the midst of terror movie, right? I think it got too confusing and it lost its own message by trying to be so cerebral and and how can we make the time and perspectives and aspect where you could just tell a movie where, you know, people are nice and, you know, you have these unsung heroes and that part was really, really great, but it never got to enjoy it because we were too caught up in the the technical aspects of it. At least I was. Um, It's not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, but it certainly is a Christopher Nolan movie. My favorite Nolan movies are more like Memento, where it has a reason for a weird storytelling device, or now I hope in his 11th movie, Tenet, where the whole shtick of it is these palindromes and time working forwards and backwards. And so the movie itself will also be kind of doing that. I've got high hopes for what he uses these tricks and and the stuff that he's really, really good at in a movie that it feels like the subject matter belongs to that medium. Well, Cole, only time will tell. Ah, Good job. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We were so glad we got to be with you today to highlight the career of Christopher Nolan. And we're so excited that, fingers crossed, we're going to get a Christopher Nolan movie this summer. And it could rain at the box office. Eh, Without a lot of competition. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. You can Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, download it anywhere you get podcasts, and you can stream us live as well. Until next week.